He said he would like to show me over his home, and he opened a door before me. This is my room, if you care to see it. It is rather curious. Hello, I'm Rob Zombie, and uh, this is my house, so uh, come on inside, and I'll show you some weird stuff. Pirate bar. It wasn't a pirate bar, but it looked like a pirate bar, so we made it a pirate bar. How many people have one of these? It is a mummified man fish. This is actually real. Here's my electric chair. Doesn't work anymore. I broke it. That is where I sleep. One has to get used to everything in life, even to eternity. We're here. We're here. Welcome to Lorola's Traveled, the Phantom of the Opera podcast that is deeply serious and scholarly. I am Kara. And I am Kristen. And unfortunately, like the Roy siblings, we're not serious people. You might love us, but we're not serious people. Uh, we're here in Portland in the studio in my home. We're going to be sharing the microphone. We'll try to, uh, you know, we're just going to see where the audio takes us. We're reading Phantom of the Opera. We are reading the David Coward translation. That's one of the more recent translations that is more thorough, accurate. Of course, every translator has their own spin on it. And then I interrupt to say this was taken out of the Alexander Texier de Matos version, which is the most common adaptation that people have read for a lot of years. Only this week, because Kara's here and because I have the audiobook of that other one, I said, what if, as you may have heard on our other horrifying content that we released, I said, what if we listen to that first and then you read the, the unabridged version? So how do you feel about that process, Kara? Yeah. <laughs> It was crazy. So we listened to the D'Amato's version, which is the translation that most people have read the English version of. Um, that man is really just silencing silencing women and silencing Rick. Exactly. And silencing Ralph. By cutting, who knew that by cutting out 100 pages of a text <laughs> that you would be <laughs> taking out important parts of the story. So that was really interesting. Yeah, we listened to the audiobook. And recorded our live slug reactions, which you can see in our hopefully mini-sode. And then now this is the real podcast. So today we will be talking about chapter 13, Apollo's Liar, and chapter 14, A Masterstroke from the King of the Traps. I'm not sure we'll hear a noise. Isis, friend of the pod, Isis, she is, as she so often is, walking amongst the chords, but because we only have one audio between us. She's making it so that we can't edit her out. She says text silence to those other people, but she won't silence me. Should we <sighs> Phantom Corner? Do you want to start? Oh, yeah. You do Phantom Corner. I have nothing. Phantom Corner. <laughs> this this podcast will be hitting with heavy hearts. Phantom of the Opera on Broadway is closing. If you can hear the shouts of celebration, that's from my boyfriend and also from Isis because she is so tired of hearing about this. Also, you might hear a, a celebration from my bank account because that means I do not have to spend money on this stupid show anymore. But yeah, so we are recording this on April 10th. Just a little peek behind the curtain. By April 16th, the show will be closed. Andrew Lloyd Webber has alluded to the show reopening sooner rather than later. We've heard from several cast members that the show will be reopening in a couple years. 
We have our own speculation about that. So hopefully it will be back, but it will be closing. So this weekend I will be circling the wagons with my other fans and we will be seeing the show one more time. And I am trying to convince Kristen to come with, but uh, we are across the country at this point, so that will not be happening. (laughs) It will be over now, the music of the night by this time next week. Um, But we're going to persevere. We're going to keep going. Chapter 13, Apollo's Liar. So we get the famous, if you know the musical, this is the famous rooftop scene where she runs up onto the roof and Raul follows her. Slightly different than the way it is in the musical, but I think it works in both versions. And so they are going up to the roof to be away from the threat of Rick. Because where we last left off, Raul was like, wait, what the fuck? And she's like, fine, fine, fine. I will tell you, but not here. We will go up to the roof, a place that Rick definitely won't follow us. And then Gaston Leroux said, reader, he did. Raul was like, okay, if you just tell me what it is, I will stop trying to wife you and I will go away, but I will rescue you. Like, I will get you out of this. And for whatever reason... Christine was like, ooh, okay, I maybe believe that he can get me out of this, and it is now time for me to tell him all the events. Yes. Also, 2004 Movie Corner. I do think that the 2004 movie does a nice job of, like, this whole time Rick is there, like, Mm -hmm. listening in, and we don't really get that. If you see the musical only once, you do get him going, like, Christine in the shadows, and she goes, what was that? So we get, like, a tiny moment of, like... Rick is there the whole time and like he's omniscient but like in the 2004 movie they spend a lot of time being like Gerard Butler's behind that statue which it's funny I think a lot of fans of the musical I've seen don't really like that in the movie how it shows that he's there the whole time again something does not have to be Leroux accurate to be fun and good but Mm -hmm. that's it's kind of weird that for a an adaptation of a thing that's already an adaptation that a lot of people don't like, it kind of maybe stumbled into some Leroux callback moments. Uh, but yeah. So they're there, they're chilling, it's great. Nothing bad is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Christine feels an unearned confidence with her safety level. I know, she keeps doing that. Um, so they're under the statue of Apollo, mm. who Kindle is telling me, son of Zeus. We all knew this. We didn't have right, to look right. it up at all. But also, it is bringing up the Apollo space situation in this definition which uh that's Kristen corner but he is the god of music poetry archery prophecy medicine pastoral life and the sun so well in protection of the youth which i we drunkenly mumbled about in the last one but the youth because gaston keeps making sure to let us know that this is their youth they're like children like a brother and sister just just really driving that home so they're sitting under the lyre and they feel protected they feel that there is a hedge of protection yes and so then christine says when the time comes for you to take me away and i refuse to go you have to force me to leave interesting yeah and he's like what are you afraid to change your mind like raul is always thinking in terms of do you not really love me and she's like it's a lot more complicated than that there's a guy yeah raul He's doing metaphorical dick measuring at all times. And so she's like, I'm afraid to go back to live with him under the earth. I have to go back. 
I know I should feel sorry for people who live under the ground, but yeah, <laughs> that's just funny to me. It is funny. All right, so then she gets into I've seen that like that haunted face, hmm. and she she's talking about Rick, and then we hear like a wail on yeah. the roof, and Ral's like, "Huh? Do you think someone's on here on the roof? Do you think he's hurt?" And it's like, <laughs> "Who do you think it is?" Like I know that Ral the edits from the original whatever translation in English makes Ral even stupider, but he's still pretty stupid in this, this version. This is very funny because it is. I mean. Skipping forward, she will tell us, no, Rick. Rick is down below. Rick would never listen up in my dressing room. And Rick is certainly down below composing because he had said that's where he'd be. For whatever reason, if Rick says a thing, Christine believes it. So anyways, we're not our most coherent, but we're going to no, get there. We're going okay. to get there. We, yeah, we are, we're enjoying a lovely magnesium infused sparkling water. We learned a lot of lessons from recording drunk mm-hmm. and we're, we're health conscious now so anyway so now and i was saying this to you earlier i did not expect to get explanations this is a gothic novel they do not like giving explanations and we get as much of an explanation as i think she can possibly give him yeah i think so Mm -hmm. so now we get a timeline so three months before she sees him she heard him in her dressing room and she's like oh I I don't know who you are. She's like, oh, is this like, is this it? Is this the angel of music? And unfortunately, she asks Mama Valerius, like, hey, there's like a disembodied voice that's talking to me. And Mama Valerius is like, of course, that's the angel of music. You could just ask him. Go ahead and ask the disembodied man's voice a highly specific yes or no question. That'll work out fine. Yeah. So she goes, hey, are you the angel of music that my father told me would come and visit me? And that I should devote my entire life to. And he, Rick, always has the audacity. He goes, yeah, yep, that's who I am. And so I do like that Christina's like, well, my adoptive mother was partly to blame. Because this woman is one essential oil away from, like, unhinged. Mama Valerius is QAnon adjacent. It just is what it is. (laughs) She is. She's like, sure, it's an angel. Angels happen all the time. And so he's like, okay. Yep, I came here to teach you how to sing, and uh, can I give you singing lessons every day? And she says, of course. So they make a schedule, because angels love, famously love a schedule. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's got his bullet journal out, which we'll come back later. Mm, absolutely. Uh, and he's like, yep, every morning from X to X, yeah, we're going to have these meetings early in the morning in my dressing room when there was no one on that side of the building. And so it says, <laughs> I was screaming at, what can I say happened <laughs> during those lessons? You've heard the voice, but you could have no idea. And poor Ral's just like, absolutely not. Like, no idea at all. Which, ugh, oh, Christine. I like that Ral asks, oh, well, was there an accompaniment? Like, did you have, what did, what did, what do you call that? Like, a click track. A click track. <laughs> yes, because we used to have it for um band. Fair yeah. question. Did you have a click track? And she's like, yes. Because she's like, I don't know what instrument it was. So that means that he has a synthesizer. It was as if the voice knew exactly where my father had got to with my studies when he died and also the simple method he'd used to teach me. As a result, I kept remembering, or my voice would remember, everything he taught me and this, together with the new lessons I was getting, meant I made tremendous progress in which in other circumstances would have taken me years. This is placebo effect, the musical. No, but- uh, You know? They said she sucked. They said her voice was not Yeah. Great. Well, because she was sad. I feel like having like him just remind her of the basics and like- you know, just like 
having that kind of release where like it doesn't matter that this thing had happened to you I always took it for granted, even though I make fun of it. Yeah, no, Rick actually knows everything about music and music mm-hmm. theory. He's yeah. he's not been to school for it, self-taught. He just simply magically knows. It would seem he, I think it's backed up in other parts of the book that no, he's not just a genius according to some people. He He really does have a lot of remarkable skill and intelligence, but I did always just take it for granted that Oh, no, he actually uh, is a very impressive musical teacher. And he, well, because doesn't she say like, she's not entirely sure she should have been able to sing some of the roles on that level. Mm -hmm. So, so it's taken for granted that Rick has a magic vocal technique that no one knows about but him. But whatever. Yeah, he got her there. Yeah, I think it's also like, and I am, this is projection corner. But like, my dad used to like, teach me to like sing or whatever and like he would want he would want to like sing with me or whatever and like there's just something about being taught by a family member where you're like fuck you dad I'm leaving or whatever <laughs> and like who's to say that is not happening but also like I think there's also something to be said that like this omniscient like very scary like heavenly voice is like screaming at you to like sing like it's like when you go to like a training class with like a gym trainer versus like if you're just on the elliptical by yourself like there's something a little powerful about like having someone you're kind of either trying to impress or like a little bit scared of pushing you versus like someone safe like your parent or whatever right so I think that part of it like I don't think he's doing any magic no no so anyway she's doing singing lessons so then we have the banger um I was a little scared that some sort of witchcraft was involved, but Mama Valerius was most reassuring. She said she knew I was far too sensible to let the devil get his hooks in me. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. I think we should have that conversation. I haven't listened back to that part yet. I think we started screaming when, first of all, anything happened in the other translation, but when the Alexander Texiera de Matos version said, Mama Valerius said she knew I was far too simple a girl to let the devil have a hold on me. The words simple and sensible do both start with an S. Uh, they are descriptors. Mm. I, it's Alexander Texier de Matos's fault that everybody thinks Christine is a dizzy broad. And I said what I said. Yeah. Because she will admit to, yes, sometimes I am a dizzy broad. Also, it's sometimes other people's fault. Yes, there's totally stuff I should have known. But also, I did choose to ignore all the red flags. Yes. But she's pretty sensible. She is sensible. Most of the time. Yeah. So then, unfortunately, Horny, the voice says, wait and see. We shall take Paris by storm. And then Raoul shows up and she's like, hey, I saw you. And I was super excited about it. And the voice immediately picked up on her energy. And she's like, I saw no harm in telling it about our childhood, nor in disguising the places you had in my heart. The voice was silent. I called it. It did not reply. I begged it, but it was no good. Also, it is interesting that we're using it pronouns for the voice. You know, like it's it's Rick who is ultimately we find out a man, but she's still using like non-gender pronouns for the voice. That thing of when you're messaging with someone, um, I think it was a little bit of a like Rick is typing energy and then suddenly he was no longer typing and then he just bounced. No, he he flounced. He was behind the mirror or the wall or whatever and was like, (sighs) she has a crush and. I'm going to go die, meaning beat off and scream and fight with people on internet forums about Radiohead. He picked up immediately that she had a crush. And did he do silent treatment to punish her? Was it because he was sulking and couldn't get a hold of it? Why not both? But uh, yeah. 
So she goes home to Mama Valerius and she's like, shit, like, where did he go? He's left me on red or it left me on red. <laughs> and Mama Valerius is like, the voice is jealous of Raul. Mama, what? <laughs> Not this. Can you imagine explaining this to your mom? No, truly. I think most guardians at that time or any time would say there's a man's voice talking. I'm going to assume that some creeper is hiding out trying to. Uh, interact with you in probably untoward ways but but remember how there's like a giant photo of professor valerius on the one side and daddy die on the other christine simply caught in between these shrines to dead men but also no oh yeah the voice is jealous how does that make sense no no so he they did not notice yards from them yards. two great black wings which flattened itself against the roof and crept so close that by enclosing them in its embrace, it could have easily smothered them. So this man is literally snuggied up, like creeping along the side of the wall. They're very, I wonder if like they do notice and they're just like, no. Because I think he, he mentions a couple of times, it's so close, could have got them at any moment. They failed to see it. So they're just very wrapped up in each other. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, once again, he's like, I'm gonna pause to remind you, this guy is right there. Yeah. I just imagine like he's kind of like arms outstretched, like creeping along the wall. And so then so Rick does what thousands and thousands of men have done before him. Uh, so he breaks his silent treatment and then he guilts the shit out of her. It spoke with such sadness. Of course he did. It said bluntly that if I was going to surrender my heart to earthly love, then it had no alternative. The voice, I mean, to return to heaven. It said this with such genuine human pain that I should have suspected something there and then. It said, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. And that's universal. Yeah. And so then, like, a kind of sad moment because, like, she knows that this voice is not her father, uh -huh. which I think is something that does get sometimes conflated in the musical. Right. Sometimes really conflated, like, that man, that thing is not your father. I do feel sad because it's like, she knows it's not her dad the whole time. But she's like, it's just like, this was something that reminded me of my dad. Like, this was like a nice, like, reminder of what was happening with my dad. I did just think of something and bone chilling. I'm about to talk about my religious upbringing, not in terms of trauma, but there's all kinds of instances in the Bible where someone sees a vision. A lot of times other people can't see the vision. And this is part of it. It's only you heard the voice. Only you saw the vision. Mm -hmm. And part of your... I mean, and it's not always that everyone saw Lazarus resurrect. We'll circle back to Lazarus in a moment. But but that's so it probably would not have seemed that weird to her. The concept of, oh, only I can hear it, because if it was some kind of deity. Yeah, that is how it works like a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And also, like, I mean, that's the allure of Phantom, I think, to us. In the same way that the allure of Twilight, <laughs> I hate to expose myself like this, but like just a person who is solely like watching you, paying attention to you, listening to you. She didn't have any friends. And like this was right. her friend. They talked for three months and like no one's talking to this girl and she does not have friends and she does not show up to work on time and she is barely doing her job. Yeah. No. And that that does come through in both versions. She says, like, the voice and I talked about everything. So I'm envisioning poor Christine coming in like, oh, I'm sorry, I was two minutes late today. There was a dog. Can I tell you about the dog? I, it's just Samoyeds, you know, 
herself in her corner. <laughs> but like whatever she has to talk about. So this happened at work today. You know how you text your friends throughout the day. I just imagine this is like her. Mm-hmm. And I've always wondered to what extent she was like, I, I do be out here. I'm a superstitious girly. Am I going crazy? Who can say? But this is comforting me right now. Whatever she thought it was, she finally had a friend. And I do just imagine her telling him about, oh, yeah, and we used to go on vacation here when I was little and telling him everything about her dad that he could possibly use for his nefarious purposes. Mm -hmm. But it's like seeing a psychic. Yeah, but like (laughs) her actually her actually having (laughs) someone to be like. Hey, I saw this meme. Yeah. Whatever that was in 1880, but. Well, and she says, she alludes to like, yeah, anywhere I am in this opera house, if I say his name, he'll come and like, it's truly like she is texting. Rick invented be real. (laughs) Time to be, he's saying time to be real. So he's like, no, no, no. Again, she's bringing up the brotherly love thing, which I'm always keeping my eyes open for that interesting way. And she's like, it's not horny. But this is why, which I never thought we were going to get an explanation of, but this is why, you know, I couldn't acknowledge you at the dressing room and I was kind of mean to you because, you know, Rick be watching. Right. And then, you know, she's going to her lessons and I I think Eric is kind of assuaged by this. And then she says, you know, but why didn't Carlotta appear on the night of the gala? Why was I chosen to replace her? I don't know. Don't you, girl. Right. We know. Yeah. Yeah, meanwhile, this man is, like, blackmailing the shit out of these managers, and she's like, I just show up to work, sort of. I was totally possessed by the music, and then I woke up and you were there, and I'm sorry I had to, like, laugh at you, because I was, like, scared. And then Rick does the third thing that is the classic men are trash for all time. Uh, He says, no one can deceive the voice. Mm. I recognized you and it was jealous. For the next two days, he made my life impossible. True, bestie. <laughs> Baskin Robbins always finds out. Um, <laughs> shout out to Ant-Man. Um, it's so sad, though, when you think about it, because Christine fighting for her life. She wakes up, sees Raul quick on her feet, is like, ah, fuck, does her best. I sorry to this man. Rick is not fooled. Imagine what's going through her head. She's like, no, 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 shut up. Stop talking. He's like, I have to be alone with you and I'm going to propose. So stressful. Eric says, if you didn't love him, you wouldn't keep avoiding him. So she is trying her absolute best. And this is, you know, just all men. If if you were just a friend, then you'd shake hands. Why are you so afraid of him being alone in your dressing room? If you didn't love him, you wouldn't send him away. But it's like, girl, if I went out to dinner with him you would go crazy so what's the truth and so then she goes fine then i'm gonna go to my father's grave and i'm gonna bring Raoul with me and he goes bet i will be there too so then we get a little more into the graveyard thing which is remember we were talking about how did rick know that Raoul was there because she told him like none of this is like he's not magic this man is just like using information (laughs) genuine question because I've read this enough that I didn't do a refresher today, but um, he let her know that, yes, I will be there. If you are worthy of me, I will play you the resurrection of Lazarus on your father's violin as a treat. And we were like, it said so many times, this violin is buried in the ground, but translation do be. Does this version make it any more clear? Is it 
oh, it was like the violin? Or does this version say, like, no, it was that violin? On his violin. Rick, did you exhume Brian Daye? Don't do that. Men do be exhuming your father. Oh, God. And so she's like, I like I trusted him and so I invited him. I invited you to the to the graveyard. And he's like, Why did it take you so long to figure this out? And she's like, Who who would have known? Like, this is very complicated. They didn't have movies of the week then, Raul. They had no lifetime. Yeah, huh. she didn't know. And so then, um, obviously the chandelier thing, whatever, and she goes, The first thing I thought of was like, Are you okay, Raul? And then he she goes, Well, was the voice okay? Because at that point, you occupied equal places in my heart. And so she's like, I saw you in the brother's box and knew you were in no danger, which is funny because this man was like, had like a Pedialyte and was like sweating his ass off. But she could see him not crushed under the chandelier. So she's like, wellness check accomplished. Weirdly, she's like, is the voice crushed under the chandelier? No. (laughs) What do you mean? Um, And so she runs to the dressing room and that's why she's like, poor Eric. And he didn't respond. And then, uh, and then this man said, "Youth pastor voice." I'm gonna quote the Bible. He hornily flipped a chair around, and and he's like, he quotes Lazarus to her, and so she kind of clarifies like the thing, but she's like, "I need you to tell me like how I disappeared because I actually don't know." Um, but she's like, clearly it was like a mirror situation, and then I got in, and he's like, "Oh, you must have been dreaming." Which, um, thanks, Ralph. The- Raul, you saw her disappear. You were shook and confused. You didn't know what happened. Why is he, he saw it happen. He's like, Christine, you're so crazy for imagining that. Yeah, he he can't explain it. And she's like, could you explain it? And he's like, no. So whatever. So then something bony and cold held my wrist fast and would not let me go. We're getting into Divergent from the musical corner. Yes. Spoiler, it's everything that happens after this. An arm trapped my waist and supported me. Filled with horror, I struggled for a moment. My fingers slid along damp stones without getting any grip. I stopped struggling. I thought I would die of fright. In this way, I marched along towards the faint red glow. We stepped into the light and saw that I was in the power of a man wearing a long black Snuggie. <laughs> and a mask which completely hid his face. I made one mighty effort. I dug in my heels, my mouth mighty. opened... My mouth opened to scream out my fear, but a hand closed on it. A hand I could feel on my lips, on my flesh, and it had the taste and smell of death. I fainted. I don't think D'Amato said taste. No. And it doesn't say, like, it doesn't have anything, like, about a mighty effort or a mighty scream. It, it, it gives you that she struggled a bit, but uh-huh. she's terrified. She's like, I mean, what do we as women hear about all these abduction stories? fight with everything in you not to be taken to that second location and she knows she's and she's doing it exactly and we'll talk about more of that because like yeah yeah, i think she she does everything she could Mm -hmm. and then she passes out um because women do be passing out in this time (laughs) and so he's bathing her temples he well he might have chloroformed her yes we don't know yeah interesting so then he's like trying to get her back and she goes where's the voice which is sad and then we see a white shape, and it's Chekhov's Caesar the Horse. <laughs> it is. It is. This This was cut out of D'Amato's. I just think it gives such tremendous insight into Christine, but also into Gaston Leroux, uh, saying women's stories matter. Is it here? Is it the, It's like the gentleness with which he was bathing her temples made the whole thing worse. Yes. I just, that's so... That's such a good detail. 
I don't know. If we come to it, maybe we can read it. But I found it more horrible to bear than the brutal fact that he had just abducted me. It made it worse. Um, and so Caesar shows up, and so he puts her on the horse, and she's like, yeah, this is Caesar. I used to spoil him with sugar lumps because in all iterations, Christine is a horse girl. Yeah. And so then she realizes, oh, people were saying the fan of the opera stole Caesar. And she's like, I had never believed in the Phantom. She's like, I heard the stories, but I never believed in him. I believed in the voice because she heard it. And then she could never have imagined that the voice and the Phantom were one and the same. And then she goes, have you ever heard of the Phantom of the Opera, Rel? And this poor man is like, yes. <laughs> yep. And at this Keep point, <laughs> we're screaming, why do you never see Hannah Montana and Miley Cyrus in the same place? Exactly. Same I, but also, like, I mean, yeah. I would never have come to this conclusion. Like, there's a lot of conclusions she would have to get to. Yeah. Well, and she's not, she has no workplace friends. Yeah. She's not around the water cooler talking about the Phantom. She's, yeah. And she's never seen, like, the manager's notes. Like, she's not a part of this. She's not. You know, talking to Meg and Madame Giry, like, oh. in the musical, where no. she might hear about all the shit that, like, is going on. So anyway, so they go down, down, down on this horse, and she sees the just horrifying minimum wage employees uh -huh. that work down at the bottom of the opera house, a.k.a. the, like, the Irish people on the Titanic <laughs> who are doing the furnace. Yeah. And she's, like, very freaked out. Um, Caesar seems to not really give a shit, which I respect. And then they get down there and there's the gloom had lifted and we were bathed in a bluish glow, which we were talking about. That is cool that like when you go to see the stage show, like the stage is blue mm -hmm. and like foggy when you get to the lake. Just a fun thing that they pulled out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So then now we get to see a little boat. And so she gets in the boat and she's like, this is giving River Stick. He's just staring at her the whole time. Mm -hmm. Non-horny, she says. Or what? I mean, does she say non horny It sounds she scary. She's like, it's oppressive. And then she says, has he ad had the effect of the drug worn off? So. I think that version clarifies a little more. She's like, yeah. I knew I had been drugged or something. Yeah. I can't remember. But like, yeah. And one of them, they're like, she's like, did I have like a drugged drink? Like what was going on? Because like, she's like, I could see. And, like, think clearly, but, like, my body wasn't moving, which is, like, ugh. That's terrifying. It's terrifying. And so then Caesar just goes off to, like, who knows. Rick says bye, and yeah. Caesar just bounces. And then he took the oars and rowed with rapid, powerful strokes. We're just put us in prison. So then they, under the mask, his eyes never left me, and I felt there still gaze, like, a physical weight on me. So this is not horny. And so they go across the lake. They hit a shore. He carries her in his arms. By now I had regained enough strength to scream, and then I stopped, dazed by light, a brilliant light which suddenly illuminated my surroundings. I was in the middle of a drawing room, which I thought at first was furnished and decorated with nothing but flowers. He said bitches love flowers. He said bitches love flowers, but he, like, went to, like, Walgreens and got, like, the blue, like carnations or whatever we're not even we make jokes and exaggerations we're really not she's like i recognize these basic ass flowers but yeah, yeah just imagine she's being carried she's screaming she's fighting and then is like what i see a cabinet a sectional it's it's gas station flowers and yeah. he goes don't be afraid christine <laughs> you're in no danger and she's like oh shit it's the fucking voice and so then she goes for the mask and he goes well you're in no danger as long as you don't touch my mask. And then he falls to his knees. And so she's like, okay, I guess he's not going to kill me. Not immediately. Not immediately. 
And then she's like, well, then the library is open because she's like, the wall hangings, the furniture, the torches and vases, even the tasteless flowers with their gilt baskets. I knew exactly where they'd come from and how much they cost. It's giving TJ Maxx. Um, the book which shall not be named and also many fanfics. We love to believe that Rick is it's, this is another common belief. Mm-hmm. Rick has exquisite taste in everything. No. Gaston Leroux is letting you know who said that. No. No, and like we see later when she's in the um what is called the Louis Philippe room, like that that furniture is like it would be like like this man has wood paneling in his house. Like this is like if it was furnished like the 70s, which is exactly the vibe that is very unsettling. But it's so funny she she's in absolute terror and she's like ah oh, these busted flowers that are in like weird colors cuz they were dyed to be that way. No. Mm-hmm. The shag carpeting. She's like mm. And so she's like, okay, so this is a this was the voice of a man, which is kind of interesting that she's surprised by that, which we've talked about before, like Rick outside of like gender. Um, and so she starts crying and he's like, it's true, Christine. I'm not an angel, nor a genie, nor a ghost. I'm Eric. <laughs> and He has a little name tag on. Yeah. And then he's like repeating back parts of the story on the roof and Raul's like, what the hell? And she's like, you have to hear the whole story up here because she like doesn't want Eric to see this on his ring doorbell. And she says, all we have to fear are trapdoors, Raoul. Here we're on top of the world. There are no traps up here, and he won't allow me to see you outside of the theater. There's no time to cross, and we can't arouse suspicions. Something to- and then he goes, something tells me it would be a mistake to wait until tomorrow evening. We should leave tonight. And she said, I told you, if he doesn't hear me sing tomorrow, he'll never get over it. Which I like, I like that. <laughs> like, he's not going to get over it. That is a funny, like, modern way to say it. Yeah. Uh, and then it says, if I go, it will kill him. But then if we run away, he might kill us. So Raoul does what he does every time Christine is talking about herself and he asks, okay, centering corner, what does this have to do with me? Aren't you in love with this person? Um, I hate this. He, he's like, wow, like you're in love with a man who lives in an underground palace? And then she's like, no. Does she say no, though? She talks about what's wrong with the situation, but does she say no? She contains multitudes. Yeah. She doesn't say she's not in love with him, but she says, uh, I don't hate him. Exactly. And Raul really wants to hear that she hates him. And she's like, well, I am horrified by him. And then I do like the bit where she says, like, she's like, I'm not going to explain, like, the place where I keep all of my, like, secrets and sins, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, because she's down there. So she's down there for two weeks. And let me tell you, there is the fan. The fan fiction is interesting about what could have happened in those two weeks. But ultimately, we don't know. And she's like, I'm not going to tell you. So... Raul gets really triggered. This is one of my favorite parts of the novel because Raul screams at the entire fandom of the opera fandom. He reads us to filth. Uh, why are you telling me all this? You love him. It's obvious. <laughs> your fear, your terror. It's just another sort of love. He said scared is the best way to be horny. <laughs> but it is, I mean, it makes sense because we get this fascinating, like the language of Raul and Christina's like brotherly affection. Like they... At one point, she says, like, kiss me for the first and last time in this chapter. And I'm like, have they never kissed? Like, it's very, very, not platonic, but it's very, like, above board and innocent. And then meanwhile, like, we get, this woman is tasting this man's hand. Raul says, love of the most exquisite kind or something like that. Mm-hmm. He's like, I bet it gives you a thrill just when you think of it. Thanks so much, Raul. So anyway, uh, he's crying. She's like, he's crying a little too much. 
he offers to let me go. I can leave whenever I like. But I think he's he realizes she's crying because she's like, you. it was a dude all along. He's like, it's true. I'm just a guy. Just a guy. Yeah. He sings her to sleep. Not another word is said between them that night. And then she wakes up on a sofa in a room with no escape. So it's escape room starring her and she's like, fuck. But what do they have, Krista? An incredible bathroom. An incredible bathroom with hot, abundant hot water. Abundant. That's $3,500 a month in New York. So. But yeah, she's like, I woke, right, she wakes up on the couch, not the bed. Interesting. Mm. And I mean, she does, he does sing her to sleep in the musical and here. Um, famously in the musical, well, many stagings of it, he shows her the life-size real doll mannequin of her dressed in a wedding dress. None of that here, but he's like, yeah, he sees her crying, starts singing. She falls asleep. She wakes up trapped but it, she's like i'm trapped in like a basic room but with an amazing bathroom yeah. um but she's just like slowly freaking out and i think she's kind of berating herself here for like it is completely my fault for getting myself into this she's like so mad at herself yeah uh and but don't worry because she shouldn't be mad at herself because there's a note that says uh hey christine don't be alarmed i'm going shopping he is going to the ross dressed for less and he's going to get whatever clothes women need like blouses and shoes <laughs> like what is like what does this man think women wear i don't usually think about this but she would have been taken down there in her costume her cybel mm -hmm. costume i think was she cybel at that time yeah yeah so she needs like what like we had the corset the bloomers that she needs the whole 1880s fit and like dresses like even if she's dressed very plainly she needs all this shit and I don't even know what personal hygiene items they were using at the time what store is he so many questions so then um consent king Eric knocks quietly three times uh and then enters through a door that she hadn't seen so that's Rick. cool and then he starts taking out like all the target purchases he made and so we yeah he's like unboxing we were laughing because we we're like there's no way this man didn't just get her like a hundred tampons because like he just doesn't know what unit of tampon that's like appropriate for her so he's like putting it down da 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 she's like take off the fucking mask hurled abuses at him take off the mask you're clearly like obscuring like who you are as a person so she thinks he's wearing like a balaclava kind of like to like obscure his identity and he's like it's complicated and he said no you will never see eric's face and then he's like uh he gives me half an hour to finish dressing and as he spoke he carefully wound up my pocket watch and set it to the correct time Kristen, do we think he did that he set it to a time for yeah. sure no but he's like i come on i roll up and you're still not dressed for the day yet what are we doing bud like rick she doesn't know what time it is. She's disoriented. So he's like, let's get moving. Winds up the watch. He's like, you got half an hour. Come out. We're going to, in the other Excellent version, lunch. in the other version, he says a nice lunch. This version says excellent. I'm imagining a lunchable. Yeah. What does it say here? But she slams the door in his face and then take, you said it was a cold shower? Yes. She says the cool water was refreshing. So she's taking a cold shower, which girl same, but also like uh, she's got to be like a, a wits about her. And then she says this incredible line that was taken out of D'Amato's. She goes, before taking my bath, I found a magnificent pair of scissors and kept it within arm's reach for I had made up my mind that I would kill myself if Eric, now that he'd stop acting like a lunatic, also stopped behaving like a gentleman. Foundational. Yes. 
this changes so much about who Christine is. Just no notes, Christine. No, no. We were saying like earlier when we were like reading it, I think all, you know, not to bring down the the vibe of the pod, but like women, we do be catastrophizing and we have a plan. We have a contingency plan when things go, if things go south. And I think it gives her a lot of agency that she's doing this. And she's, you know, she's got her head in the clouds, but she's a fucking realist. And she realizes like this is, this could go really, really badly, especially with like the way he's acting. And then she says, too, I had taken the wise decision not to antagonize or cross him in any way, but if it came to it to flatter him, if it meant being released sooner. So she has like a kidnapping contingency plan. She has a like assault contingency plan and she is going to she's going to get out of here. So I also find it interesting that like, first of all, she's saying this to Raul. So like mm-hmm. if she does anything untoward, she can kind of say it under the guise of like, I'm trying to like I had to say anything to him to get out of here kind of thing. But then also. Everything she says past this point is kind of unreliable because it's like, is she saying some things to like get out of here or is she saying some things honestly, but then she's saying that she's saying some things to get out of there. You know what I mean? (laughs) Also, super fun for Rick to not only hear he's too horrible, which he already knew, Mm -hmm. possibly new information. Yeah, I was ready to kill myself if he assaulted me. What's Rick's reaction to that? Or yeah. Truly just absolutely willing to say literally anything to him to get free. I feel like he didn't not know that, but it is clarifying for Rick eavesdropping just how much she's not really, she's not down with it in the way that you and many a fan of the intellectual property might like to believe. And that's okay because there's different versions, but in Mm -hmm. this, she's like, got to, got to stay a couple steps ahead if possible. Yeah. So then he's like, so then he's got the bullet journal out again and he is like, let me tell you like my plans for the rest of our time together. And she goes, sorry, what? And he's like, yeah, I've got you booked out for the next five days. And she's like, five days. And he's like, don't worry. By the end of those five days, I will, you'll be, you'll be cool with me. And she's like, okay, <laughs> sure. It's how to win a, not how to lose a guy in 10 days, yeah. but he had a, he read a Cosmo article, but also what, what is the lunch situation in this? Because texts made it sound like Raul and Christine were eating flowers Coward is like, "Eh, it's not that dire. In the other one, she eats three shrimps, a KFC wing, and half a glass of wine. What's the situation here? Uh, She says, I was feeling very uneasy. I managed a few prawns, a chicken wing, and a a glass of Tokai wine, which he said he had brought back personally from the sellers at Konigsberg. I think that mattered. She she managed it. That to me is like, she's so stressed out that she's like not hungry, but she's like... (sighs) to eat something as opposed to simply vibing with it as one might think she was doing in the other version but this is a lunchable but also in the other version so out of nowhere we miss we lose the scissor line and we get a lot of other like we lose a lot of lines and so she's just randomly like where are you from to eric and i was like weirded out by that but now we see her say like no i'm gonna like be nice to this man so he doesn't murder me which is a plan and he's like oh uh I don't know I just picked a name at random and he doesn't really have a real name and then I asked why since he loved me he had found no other way of letting me know than dragging me down and shutting me away deep under the ground he's like asking the question (laughs) and he says it's not easy to make someone love you in a tomb we must seize our opportunities whenever they arise so um Eric also invented lean in (laughs) by Sheryl Sandberg 
he's like, look, you just got to take, you know, you got to be grinding, grind set. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I love that she's like, I I had a plan. I'm going to be super friendly, super nice. She still says, so um, why did you do this? (laughs) Why did you do this? And then he takes her hand. But he just gives her the tips of his fingers that are cold, damp, bony, and smelling of death. And she's, like, freaked out every time. And he's just like, I'm sorry. Which is kind of, like, uh, he knows what he's got going on. And it's just, it's rough. And then he goes, hi, MTV Cribs. (laughs) Would you like to see where the magic happens? And she's like, honestly, kind of. Like, let's see what happens. Like, not, like, in a horny way. I think she's like, yeah, let's see where this weirdo sleeps. And he's like, it's really fucking weird. And she's like, okay. <laughs> and so, Kristen, what is what does he see? She sees um, what those of us shopping at Hot Topic in the 90s really. I mean, the main event is that he's sleeping in a coffin. Because what does he say? One has to get used to everything in life, even death. But, like, the walls are hung with the Requiem or something. But, like, big sheet music on the walls Rick, where's the Pinterest? But does it say it's red and black? To me, I'm imagining it's all red and black. But yeah, there's a big coffin in the middle of the room that he sleeps in. Dramatic sheet music on the walls. Uh, His little recording studio, his organ taking up a lot of space in his bedroom. I can't even make a joke about yeah, super normal because he knows it's not. Would you like to see my room? It is rather curious or whatever. He's never had a house guest, so... He's trying, but also, ah, and she's like, she can't handle looking at it, I think, right? Yeah, she's like, I don't, it upset her. She turned away. And so then she sees um, Microsoft Word is open on his computer and it's all in red font, which is interesting. At one point, she says, I wonder if it's blood, which uh, is a really cool thought to have. (laughs) She's right to ask. Yeah, she doesn't know. And so it's like Don Juan, it's page one, Don Juan triumphant. And he goes, yes, I do a little composing. I started on that work 20 years ago, which always makes people go, how old is this man? Which is fun. And then he goes, yeah, when uh, it's finished, I'll die, which is a cool thing. But also as a writer, I feel you, sir. And he's like, yeah, she's like, don't then don't finish it because you're going to die when you're done with it. And he's like, yeah, sometimes I work on it for two weeks without stopping. For all that time, I'm sustained by nothing except music and like black coffee and cigarettes. And then uh, I rest for years on end. So this is his work in progress. I, in grad school, we did have a teacher who said one that his mentor locked him in a room. I'm so sorry. I tell the story with affection. No one involved is going to hear this. But he said he was locked in a room and wrote for so long that when he came out, he forgot what milk was. specifically forgot what milk was and so all of us were like all right and um and that's rick and so she goes hey can i she is bolder than i am but she's also 21 so like this was back in the day when i was like sure i'll listen to your poetry like that's fine so she goes hey sure will you play me something from your mixtape and he goes you must never ask that my don juan does not use a Lorenzo de Ponte libretto, nor is it marred by drink, carnal love, and vice in order to show them ultimately punished by God. Um, so this man is straight edge. And he's like, yeah, this isn't like your classic, this person should be punished in an opera because like they fuck and like drink. 
if you want a basic version, a locals only version, I'll play you Mozart's, but like you can't handle how super honest and truthful mine is and you'll die. Once again, Rick. Okay. Okay. Because before when I was like, no, I always assume that he actually does have the special techniques to make her the best singer in the world. He did something because she blew everyone away. But um, we're taking his word for it that he's not like the other girls. You can't handle his music. You know how in Rent, he's writing a song the whole time. um, And then it's the worst song of the show and maybe of musical theater. Your eyes is a flop. I'll fight anyone. Ew, what if Don Juan Triumphant is just an opera of your eyes, but like angry because Rick, but yeah, he's also like, I'm an atheist, but like, I'm not like the other atheist. Like, he's like, this is an atheist, super experimental. Like, this isn't moral. This isn't ethical. Like, I'm doing all of this. So then she notices, hey, there's no mirrors uh, in the house, but then she doesn't bring it up. You know, she doesn't know yet why there would be no mirrors in the house. Kind of fun. Especially in this time period. It's a mirror-heavy society. And so then he's like, yeah, you see, Christine, there's a kind of music so terrible it consumes whoever approaches it. You have not yet discovered that sort of music, fortunately for you. It would wipe the bloom from your cheek and no one would know you when you returned to Paris. So he basically said, like, you can't handle shoegaze. Only I can. Let us sing something from the repertoire, Christine. And then he says it again. He's just like, we're going to stick to your Spotify playlist of like musical theater standards because you can't handle doing whatever bullshit he's doing. So then they start singing Othello. Mm -hmm. And uh, definitely no foreshadowing that she's playing Desdemona. Definitely no foreshadowing that he's playing Othello. Um, it's kind of made better because they're scared shitless, but also there should be a intimacy coordinator on set because they should not be doing this because he's real angry and she's real scared. And she's like, honestly, it fucked, but it was also scary as shit to do. But she does say it sure doesn't say it in the other one. Mark me down as scared and horny because isn't this and again, my memory, isn't this the part she's like, I knew that I was getting closer to ripping off his mask and that it was a terrible idea and just might kill me. And I said, I will go down with this ship. Yeah, it's wild. She was no longer the mistress of her actions and her darting fingers snatched the mask away. Oh, horror, horror, horror. And then someone else, while she's telling this story, someone else, we couldn't, couldn't possibly guess who, is repeating back what she says. Um, she goes, yeah, if I live to be 100, I'll never forget that inhuman scream, that ghastly thing. My mouth stayed open, but no words came out. My ears are permanently full of his howling, and my eyes will always be haunted by his face. How could you forget it? Raoul, you've seen dead men desiccated by the passage of time. Uh, weird thing to say, but... Has he? Yeah. You saw his death's head that night in Paris. You saw red death. None of those moved. They were not alive. So imagine if you can the mask of death itself suddenly coming to life and with its four black holes of eyes, nose, and mouth expressing boundless rage, the implacable fury of a demon. No expression in its black eye sockets, for I discovered you can only see his smoldering eyes in the deepest darkness. Imagine the scene, me pressed back against the wall, the picture of terror, and he the personification of all that's foul. I heard his teeth grind, for his mouth had no lips. I sank to my knees while, in a voice full of hate, he hissed arranged words and incoherent phrases. He cursed and raved wildly. And what else beside? He leaned over me. Look at me. You wanted to see me. Go on. Feast your eyes. Gorge your soul on my cursed ugliness. Behold the face of Eric. Now that you've seen the face of the voice wasn't hearing me enough for you. Oh, no. You wanted to know what it looked like. You women are so inquisitive. 
<laughs> he began to laugh and kept repeating, you women are too curious by half. Are you satisfied? I make a handsome specimen, don't I? Once a woman has seen me as you have, she is mine. She loves me forever. Oh, I'm definitely the Don Juan type. Look at me. I am Don Juan triumphant. Uh, wow. Rich text. A lot of that makes it into text. Not the... I. We can't say. Who knows what Rick's previous interactions with... We know he would call women females. Yep. Wait, did he do it right there? He, he um, said you women, broads. broads. We can't know what his previous interaction was, but this would seem to indicate it was something. You women are such inquisitive things. How many women has there been, Rick? Um, but yeah. So then he grabs her by the hair, which is crazy. And then Raul's like, dude, I'm going to kill this. Like, I will kill him. Like, I'm going to go. Like, don't hold me back. I'm going. And she's like, no, no, no. Let me tell you something worse. <laughs> Exactly. And he's like, God damn it. <laughs> Tell me. And he goes, maybe you think I'm still wearing a mask. Well, give me your hands. And then he makes her rip his actual flesh with her nails and like cuts into his skin to like show her that, nope, this is it. This is my face. And then he says, uh, now you can't leave because you're never going to come back because now that you've seen this thing, you're never coming back. And so she's losing her mind. He's like, I'm going to make a bigger coffin for us uh, for later. When we come to the end of living. Loving. Loving. Is that not a typo? Loving. No, because when I, mm. unfortunately, in some other version, it's like when we have come to the end of our love. Oh, till death do us part. Now, Rick. Also, um, giant coffin, a goth king. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, when you didn't know about this, like you would have probably come back. But like now it's not going to happen because you're never going to come back knowing what you've seen. And then he alludes to his... um father who never saw him or ever wanted to and his mother who gave him his first mask a mask his first unfeeling scrap of clothing yes and so now he's like squirming around on the floor like a snake and she's like yeah you're right i'm not coming back <laughs> i i do like how she has the reflection of he told me not to touch it and i touched it like a clown this was my fault she's like i i did this to myself yes so then we get an interesting part where she says, well, he hasn't touched me. Like, he's angry. He's freaking out. He had not touched me, though I was in no position to resist. And this I took to mean that the monster was also part angel, and possibly he really was. But now, tormented by the thoughts of the fate that awaited me, terrified by the door of the coffin room would open and I would see the bare face of the monster, I had gone quietly back to my own room to get the scissors, which could put an end to my unspeakable fate. So she's like, look, he didn't attack me he didn't assault me would have been easy for him to do yeah and she's like i don't know if he will hold himself back again is like what i'm getting yeah i took this to mean that the monster was also part angel she's still hanging on yeah what really perhaps he really was to some degree an angel the angel of music it's oh christine oh christine but she still got those scissors because uh yeah She's like, let's get that contingency plan real quick. Yeah. And so then he starts playing music. If you want to talk about the music, the organ. Oh, all this happens in the version that most people have read, but it, it really elaborates here that whatever music he's playing awakens all kinds of things in her. It's like it gives her this horrifying window into it. Like, it's like she's stepping into his brain and his memories and like just the depths of loneliness and despair and like a true window into how horrible his life has been and she seems 
yes, motivated by trying to save herself, but maybe more genuinely motivated by empathy here. Because I just think her reaction to the music and reflecting on his life, it just goes deeper. Then, yeah, we we know she like kind of goes from like, okay, I'm going to go grab those scissors to like, okay, Eric, show me your face. Don't be afraid. I swear that you are the most unhappy, the most sublime of men. And if from this day forward, Christine Dia trembles when she looks at you, it will be because she is thinking of the wonder of your genius. So she's trying her absolute fucking best. And he believed her and he turns around and she's like, (laughs) but she keeps it together and he falls to her feet. But he did not have he did not see that her eyes were closed. So she's trying her absolute best. But she's like, I cannot look at him like not yet. And so then it says um, she's there down there lying to him for two weeks. And we don't really know too much what happened. She burns his mask, which I find a lovely gesture kind of of she's going to try her best. Yeah, she plays her part. Um, He lavished every care on me. He would walk me to the banks of the lake and row on the boat. He took me out the Rue Scribe entrance, which we find out later she has a key to that. And then they would drive along the Bois, which is where we saw Raoul in those two weeks. So this is we're really getting a lot of like all the questions we had. We're getting like answers. And then he's like, so the whole time she's like, don't worry, like you can let me go because I'll come back. And so finally, after two weeks, he like believes that. And he goes, you did go back. And she's like, yep. Um, But it got worse. (laughs) I thought it was going to calm him down, but it did not. He got more and more obsessed and more and more crazy. And so now she's like kind of concerned. And then um, Raul, you know, after hearing all of this terrible trauma that Christine has gone through and just everything that she's dealing with and how she escaped a kidnapping multiple times and now she's afraid she's going to be murdered, he asks, like, the, the most important question, which is, if Eric was handsome, Christine, would you love me? Is it here or just before that somewhere around here she talks about, yes, she was in part motivated by if I don't come back, I don't know what he's about to do, but... She's also like, I I had to. He didn't get into her heart in the way that he wanted to, but he's got his hooks in her. She's mm-hmm. like, I can't not feel horrible. Against her will, she has a depth of feeling for him that she simply doesn't want to have. So, and Raul, yeah, and you you almost really got drastic there with the scissors because of what you were afraid would happen. So, but if he, if he was hot, though, would you, yeah. And then does, does she give him a direct yes or no to that one? No. <laughs> she says, how can you say that? Why tempt fate? Why ask me about things I keep hidden deep in my heart where people always hide their sins? So the answer is, mm, I would consider it. Which I'm sure Rick is sitting there just loving that answer. So you're saying there's a chance. Yeah. And so then she says, we're going to go away tomorrow. But she's like, okay, well, you're my fiance for one more day. If I didn't love you, I would not offer you my lips as I do now for the first and last time. They kiss and like there's like seemingly like thunder or something like kind of shatters the fact that they're still out there. And then they see Rick hanging off of um, the strings of Apollo's lyre. I mean, a night bird, but it's Rick. It's Rick. Uh, they saw with eyes filled with fear of Eric high above them a great black bird. Never mind. I read it wrong. But anyway, so it's Rick. He's, it's a, Rick. he's a big old bird. All right. So they're running. They're running. They're running away. And they're like, we're freaked out. Something's bad. Chapter 14, a master stroke from the king of traps. So they're running, they're running, they're running. And someone gets in their way and says, no, not this way. And Raoul wanted to stop and find out what was going on. And Christine's like, we got to keep it moving. 
So they go to a different place that will take them up to the wings. And Ral goes, who was that? And she goes, it's the Persian. What's he doing here? Nobody knows. <laughs> He's always hanging around the opera. Because everyone's badges work. It, yeah, everyone's fine. badges work. How did he even get a badge? And he's like, I've never run away from anything. Like, he's like mad that he ran away. And it's like, maybe you should. Like, well, he says something like, if that was Eric, I should have dealt with him right then and there. He says something about a barn owl. And Christine's like, well, first of all, you would have to climb up there, which we know you can't do. It's like kind of a burn. Yes. <laughs> he's like, I could take him. And she's like, couldn't. Couldn't. And she's like, and I told you, he's writing. So he can't possibly be following us around. Which, again, backs up my idea that this man is a real writer because he's just not writing. He's doing yeah. everything else. He's taking a walk. He's, you know, he's got to do his laundry. He's doing everything possible to not be writing, which he's, creeping. he's just like me. So she, she's like, let's go to my dressing room. And Raul's like, um, you just told me a lot of stories about your dressing room. I think we should probably, you know, go to the patisserie across the street. <laughs> like anything. We got to leave the opera house. And she's like, I can't. He will not let me go to the Pret a Manger with you. What's yes. the, what's it called? He will not go to them. You can't go to Pret. You can't go to any of those places. But you said what Raul says, which damn pretty bold of her to like even get play engaged to him. Well, she goes, "Don't worry, I got I got permission from from Rick to do this." And he's like, "What?" And he's <laughs> like, "Yeah, he said like do it because I want." In this translation, it says, "I want him to be as unhappy as I am," and. Raul goes, what does that mean? And she's like, I don't know. Does being in love being, mean being miserable? And he goes, yeah, Christine, if you're in love and not sure of being loved, for Eric and me both, Rarick truthers, no. got to stay woke. They both don't know how Christine feels, which right, crazy. So then they get to Christine's dressing room and she's like, uh, he gave me his word he'd never spy on me in the dressing room, which unfortunately I've read fan fiction to the contrary. Doesn't it say something about he'd never do it again? That might have been a text mm. moment. It just the way it was phrased it <laughs> made it sound like he'd been doing it before. He said he wouldn't do it again, but yeah, yeah. He says uh, the dressing room and my room in his sanctuary by the lake are mine, exclusively mine, and out of bounds to him. So yeah, I think I mean yeah, it seems like mostly. I mean, it doesn't matter because I think he's lying, but <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. And he's like, well, why don't we, like, let's go through the mirror. And she's like, girl, uh, no, because we're going to get absolutely murdered. This gets crazy. And so then she says, yeah, if we go down there, like, we're going to have to ask Eric to come rescue us. <laughs> and he's like, what? And he's just like, yeah. Also, like, whenever I call him, he comes. So. He will always hear her whenever she, which put a pin in that. He doesn't just, <laughs> I like how he doesn't, he's not just someone who chooses to live underground for his own amusement. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> it seems like he's pretty fucking amused. He can do things no other man could. Christine said he's not like any man you've met. He knows things which are unknown in the land of the living. And he says, uh, careful, Christine, you're turning him back into a spirit. He's no spirit. He's a man who belongs to heaven and earth, nothing more. And Ralph says, you don't exactly sound as if you hate him. Are you sure you want to leave him tomorrow for good? And she goes, yep. And he's like, why can't we just leave right now? And she's like, uh... Because he's got to hear me sing one more time. And he's like, okay, well, tomorrow I feel like is going to be like, you're just going to be in a different mindset and you're going to be like, you're going to put it off. And Which is, me, yeah, it's me doing laundry. She's like, no, I'll just, uh, I'll leave tomorrow. I'll pack tomorrow. She's like, you just have to make me do it. Yeah. 
And Raul, I feel like, is not up to the, like, unfortunately, a consent king. I feel like he's not up to the task of, like, picking her up and dragging her out of that opera house. Right. Unfortunately. I think she's hoping he will. And I just don't. He's too, like, he listens to her too much. And so he's like, all right, uh, dressing room, midnight. I'll keep my word. You said that he will be waiting for you by the sanctuary by the lake. And uh, that's that's certainly not going to happen. And she knows how to get down there, which is fun. And she's got a key <laughs> to his apartment. He says, can I have it? And she's like, no. No. <laughs> Can't have the key to the apartment. That would be betraying Eric. And then she realizes, fuck. <gasps> and so she's she's like, Eric, be merciful. And he's like, shut up. Because you, you that's the you know Bloody Mary three times. You just told me he can hear you whenever you call for him. What are you? Stop screaming. Why are you saying yeah. his name? Do, what do we think Rick is doing right now? At this point in the story. Watching them. Yeah. I think, I don't think he's watching them. I think he's having a meltdown. He's like doing his like, all I ask of you reprise from the angel. He might still be on the roof screaming. Screaming. I think he's screaming and I think Daroga's holding him back. The Persian's holding him back. Because why is he like, don't go this way? Like this man is like a puddle on the floor. Mm -hmm. I don't know though. We'll probably get an answer because this story is do be given answers. So she's like, fuck, I lost my ring. I must have lost it when we were making out. So it must have been some pretty intense kissing because she says that's when it had fallen off my finger. Yeah. I wonder if he ripped it off her. Like just kind of did a little. Who can say? Who can say? So she's freaking out because she's like, as long as I wear the ring, Eric will be a friend. If I lose the ring, we're fucked. And they can't find it, and she is very upset. And then he's like, "Well, let's let's leave now because he's going to murder us." And she, her blue eyes clouded over, and she said, "No, <sighs> we have to leave tomorrow." So that's cool and not hypnotism. To some degree, it's like, yeah, they can't leave yet for plot reasons. But I do actually believe that she's like, mm, "Nope, it's 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 unfortunately ingrained in my hard drive that I just yeah. can't do it." She can't do it. So then he goes home and he's like, he's punching holes in the drywall. He's like, fuck this guy. Like, I can't fucking believe this. Blah, blah, blah. (laughs) He's so pissed. He wakes up and what does he see? Well, he (laughs) called him a humbug in the other one, which I thought was funny. Does he call him something different here? A charlatan. Charlatan. That's even funnier. He's like, this is a trickster. Fuck Loki. He's like, this casual. Before he goes to bed. There's something in his room or not in his room. Yes. He sees the yellow eyes from the musical Cats poster. <laughs> yes. With a fixed, baleful glare, which is exactly my experience at your home because I do yeah. be waking up and Isis is staring at me from the end of the bed like, hi, I'm baleful. This is crazy. <laughs> so he lights up the candle. The eyes disappear, which we know from in the light, you can't see his eyeballs. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, no. So then he looks under the bed, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. And he's freaking out. And then he's like, you know what? I'll go back to sleep. He blows out the candle. The eyes reappear. And he goes, is that you, Eric? Which I like that we're on a first name basis. Yeah. And he goes, well, he's probably outside with the balcony. So he gets his gun, as you do. And he takes it back to his bedside table, blows out the candle. The eyes are still there. But he can't figure out if it's like a reflection from the window. He's like, is Rick in the is Rick in is the room, Rick in the room right now, or is he outside? Right. Who can and say? so he's like, all right, I'm going to, my aim is true. I'm going to shoot this man right in the forehead. Yeah. He, and he, he goes it. for the brain because he has seen the walking dead. Yes. He's like, and he's Eric, like, I'm not doing this. Eric might be 
not a zombie, but Christine's like, no, he is he is both walking and kind of dead. So yeah, and Raul, a good aim. Mm-hmm. It's two stars. The two stars had gone. Philippe shows up and goes, "Hi, friend. Are we shooting guns? It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to sleep." And so he's kind of explaining things. We kind of get a sense that he's like, we kind of switch back to like the Larue, like, oh. I'm getting this information third and fourth hand from like the servants and shit. Yeah. The flop commissioner gets involved. Yeah. So he's like, I don't know if like Raul filled in Philippe, but it seems like he kind of did. Cause then Philippe's like, you got to relax. Like this, these are fantasy stories. Blah, he's blah, blah. babbling. And then he goes, Oh, there's blood everywhere. Mm. Outside. And he goes, good. A ghost that bleeds. I can take that. And they're like, well, you probably shot a cat, which how dare Good thing Isis isn't here. She doesn't need to hear that I violence. I will say there has been Raul's slander with, Raul thought he shot a cat. No, his brother told him that. Yeah. Yeah. He thinks he shot Rick. And he's kind of excited that he's he got him a little bit. <laughs> and it goes, yeah, because it goes down the, like, drain pipe in the gutter. So, like, you can see where this <laughs> man, like, dragged himself out of, like, this. I guess he did not think that Raul had a gun. <laughs> Despite watching him get the gun? Right. I think he thinks he probably thinks that he can dodge a bullet. Neo ass. Rick checked his phone real quick. And <laughs> he that's was like, why oh, he mom. didn't. For whatever reason, Rick simply did not see Raul get in the bed, fire at eye, what he supposed was eye level. This is crazy. It's insane. So then he kind of fills in Philippe. Philippe's like, oh boy. And then we overhear. Now we switch into overhearing. Philippe finds out that Raul's going to leave with Christine Dye tonight. Because now it's like the next morning. And so they have kind of an argument about that because Philippe is still like, maybe she's not wife material, which, eh, you know. And so then in the epic newspaper, in the society pages, we get a little Dumois action, mm-hmm. which is like, mm, XOXO, the engagement of Mademoiselle Daye of the Paris Opera to the Vicomte Raoul de Chagny. This will be the first time in its history the House of Chagny will break a pledge Da, 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 da. Will they take the new Marguerite up the aisle? And now, like, the boys are fighting. And at first, I was like, what was those two? I think they were maybe only in the first season, but the two, like, bitchy servants from Downton Abbey. It was Thomas and then Mrs. Mrs. Um... Whatever gave the mom that soap. And then, yes. Like, no, so I was like, ooh, they have bitchy servants in their house. But as we briefly touched base about it the other day, who gave them this? like, bitchily worded blind item. It was Rick. Oh, it was Rick, for sure Rick, Rick simply wrote a note to the paper in his busted handwriting. Yes. I do like that he's, like, obviously, we know he has a plan because we've read the end of this chapter, mm-hmm. but I do like that his, like, follow-up plan is, like, let's just pit these two boys against each other, the brothers against each other, and hopefully that'll kind of cool this man off from, like, stealing Christine. Yeah. And so Philippe's like, I'm going to stop you, <laughs> whatever it takes, and Raul's like, goodbye, brother. And so then we prep the carriage. Um, We got Carlotta's carriage. We got Philippe's carriage. We have Sorelli's carriage. We have a bunch of carriages. And like, you know, we can't see someone's, one of the carriage drivers, we can't even see his face. Yeah, that's crazy. Which is crazy. And then we also see a guy, a shadowy figure with a soft black felt hat and a big ass coat. He's wearing the bro fedora. He is wearing the bro fedora and he's paying a lot of attention to everyone's carriages. And they're like, yeah, that was Raul. And it's like, no, he would never wear a dumb fucking fedora like that. So we actually know that he was wearing a different hat. 
this to me is where the big HBO 10 episode season, the end of episode nine, the penultimate episode energy really mm-hmm. hits. Although what are we like halfway through this book? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what else is going to happen? Like this is we're gearing up, baby. But it's like yeah, it's leading up to the show. All the carriages mm-hmm. are there. Someone who's definitely not Rick is petting the horses. Yeah. Yeah. Horse girl. Mm-hmm. So they're doing Faust. Um, we get some business about like everyone's there. Everyone's psyched. And everyone's staring at the Deshagnies because they're like, we all read that Gossip Girl article. Philippe is in the box alone. Yeah, Philippe's in the box alone. And he's pretending like he doesn't give a shit that people are staring at him. And then like uh, Raoul's in like the stalls, which we find out later. And I like that Christine gets a cool reception. People are like, this fucking nepotism ass, like gold digging. At some point, Carlotta enters dramatically. And since this beloved character actress, it's like... And Dowd. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people are like, fuck, has Anne Dowd been written out of the series because the showrunners hate women? No, she's back. People lose it. Christine like sees Carlotta's triumph and she's like, fuck you. I'm going to sing. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's, she's like, she's, she's kind of like flopping that. hard. And then Carlotta comes out and she's like, no, fuck her. Which queen shit. Because Carlotta smirks Ooh. and she's like, fuck you. So she starts singing with all her soul. She surpassed everything she had achieved until then and then some. She took her captive audience with her and made each one believe that they too had wings. She approached the superhuman climax. A man stood up in the middle of the stalls and remained on his feet facing the singer as if he too were rising into the air. It was Ralph. First of all, if I saw this and I was following the drama, this is like this is when people see like Joe Alwyn at the Taylor Swift concert, people get so excited because they're like, <laughs> it's happening in real life. Like the song, she's singing the song about him and then he's in the audience. Ah, uh, ha, ha. I would love this. And so then she sings about angels uh, serving, haloed by a, the glory of her hair, which tumbled loosely over bare shoulders. And <laughs> she says, transport my soul to heaven above and then lights out, blackout. Boom. And then it comes out, the light comes on almost immediately and she's gone. And everyone starts losing their shit. All the drama queens run out of their boxes, which I would do the exact same thing. Philippe and Raoul run out. People are freaking out. Everyone's like, oh, she must have gone through a trap door, which Schrodinger's trap door. And they're like, oh, maybe they were doing like a weird stage effect. And and it was Spider-Man turn off the dark and it didn't go well. Is this the part where the tenor Carlos Fanta? It made me think of the sound of music. First place, the family Von Trapp. Yeah. Cue it up again. The family Von Trapp. Trapp. And then whatever idiot, they're gone. (laughs) That's exactly it. They're gone. And then he goes, our colleagues, Christine Diet, which makes me laugh because the Dematos version says our sister, Christine Diet. It's a family (laughs) at the Hopper Mummular. It's a fucking family. And now you're going to die. Yeah. Someone just got abducted and we have no clue. We don't know what's It is incredible. That's it. And that's the end. Prediction corner, I think um, she went through a trap door Mm -hmm. and Rick took her. And now we're getting into final lair, which is famously 15 minutes in the musical. Apparently it's going to be like 60 pages in this book. Yeah, no, we are. We're on chapter 14. How many chapters are in this book? 27. (laughs) We're like kind of halfway through and we're at final lair. So uh, it's great. Yeah. So this will be fun. I'm excited. Uh, she's not. I don't think she, her and Ral are going to leave. I don't no. think it's going to work out. The one version says it, like she was snatched from the arms of the tenor. So it's like kind of like how Rick Laser pointed the chandelier with pinpoint mm. accuracy. He made sure the blocking right 
he, he got a saw and was below <laughs> and made a Christine die size circle <laughs> and she dropped through it. <laughs> I hate it here. That's exactly what happened. This this man is not serious. We love These are him, not serious people. But he's not serious. These are not serious people. Um, Ooh. I'm excited. We did it. We All did right. It. Yeah. So next week we will look at chapters 15 and 16. Yeah. Uh, 15 cryptically called a strange request for a safety pin, which is cool. Right. And then chapter 18 also about a safety pin. I shouldn't even look at this, but fascinating and then this weekend i'm gonna go to the show and we're gonna say goodbye to the phantom of the opera on broadway for now and we are gonna go get fondue yeah and and we're gonna dip things in cheese and i'm gonna leave you with just just a moment from my diary october 15th 1997 phantom is leaving san francisco I probably won't get to see it. If I don't see it one more time there, I will never see it again. I don't care about anything else right now. I don't know what to do. I'll probably cry myself to sleep. Good night. (laughs) Oh my God. Follow us on Instagram. TikTok now. We're very Gen Z and cool. Um, subscribe, leave us a review, and you will get to know did Kristen cry herself to sleep? Did she survive? What year was this? 97. 97. Did she survive 1997? Find out next week on La Rolla's Travel. <laughs> Bye. And I'll take-